You are listening to an Elam Church Christchurch podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired by the message you are about to hear. And if you're ever in Christchurch, why don't you pop in and say hello? We'd love to connect. Great day to come. It's the last uh, day in our series about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes is uh, eight phrases that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we're going to read them together just to celebrate the fact that we've walked through all eight of these today. And we're going to read this out loud up on the screens. And uh, let's, let's do that. Let's read this, starting off in the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thank you. Fantastic. That last one is today's message. Blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, when Sarah and I had only been married nine months, the Christchurch quakes hit. And uh, so that kind of dates us and where we're at in our marriage, if you can do the maths. It was uh, September 2010, and in the coming weeks after the quakes, the nation learned that there were some major fault lines that existed in Canterbury. Before the quakes, we didn't know about those fault lines. I remember at the time, there was a lot of development of new houses in Kaiapoi and Marshlands and in Eastern Christchurch, and those uh, Places were hit particularly hard in what we now call the red zones. But prior to September 2010, if you'd asked anybody about uh, the likelihood of, a, of an earthquake happening in Canterbury, they would have said something along the lines of, we don't have any fault lines that we know about over here. Uh, we could, he might have said something like, well, I heard there's supposed to be a big one over on the West Coast, but I haven't heard anything about Christchurch. And I'm not trying to blame anybody across society, except that you could, be, you could make the, uh, the statement that as a society, we were kind of short-sighted when it came to the risks of earthquakes in Christchurch, to the danger. There was this kind of short-sightedness of society. And when it comes to the persecuted church, I want to make the link for you this morning that there is a temptation to be similarly short-sighted when it comes to persecution of the church. Because just uh, because we don't know about it, just because it's not on our radar or on our street, or just because it's not a part of our lives right now, does not necessarily mean that, this, uh, that it won't come in the future or that it's not happening around the world. I want to share with you about persecution this morning. You know, Open Doors is an organization that studies persecution and and uh, they produced a study in 2022, the most recent study, found that at least 360 million Christians worldwide experience 
high levels of persecution and intimidation in the world today. They found that just last year, nearly 6,000 Christians lost their lives for their faith, which was 1,000 more than the previous year. They weren't alone because in the 20th century and just in the 100 years that spanned that, 45 million Christians were martyred for their faith, which is a lot. In fact, it was more than any other year combined since Christ. The bloodiest century by a long stretch. 66% of all Christians martyred for Christ, roughly, approximately, was in the last 100 years. And I want to suggest to you today a simple idea that Christianity is the religion of the persecuted. We might not know that right now. We might not experience that, but perhaps that's because we're just short-sighted when it comes to this particular area of the world and this particular area of Scripture. Because, because Jesus, when he was alive, stirred up so much anger that in order to silence him, they had to kill him. So they nailed him to a cross, the most humiliating and painful death there was. And that is how the faith started. That is how our freedom started. That is how the, the Christianity was born. It's in our DNA. That is how our uh, redemption was won. And he said that those who follow him would be persecuted as well. And then the next generation of Christian leaders, the, the disciples, 11 out of 12 of them were martyred, and the 12th guy, John, was boiled in oil. I'm not sure which one I'd rather. Persecution, framing it from the perspective of Christ, is not a dark time that only brings sad, sadness and pain, but also one that brings favor and blessing and breakthrough. The immense reward of God. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if you're like me and you understand that short-sightedness in this area is something of a feature in your thinking and in your world, I want to encourage you just in three ways this morning. And the first way is this, is to understand that persecution will come. To understand persecution and also to understand that it will come. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15 to 16, this is a fascinating scripture. It says this, If you suffer... It should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. I love that bit. We'll come back to that in a minute. Or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. I love, I love that verse because it tells us that, uh, bless you guys. Let's just pray for Godfrey as we, yeah, Godfrey, we just lift up your hands. We just pray for you right now in the name of Jesus. Just bless him, Lord. Heal his body. Bring comfort right now. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for his life and for his blessing and his presence among us. We're grateful to have him in the community. Just show your goodness to his, him and his family, Father, right now. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I want to just challenge you with this thought. Not all persecution is because you follow Christ. I think in the last two or three years, people have claimed persecution for Christ that it actually has not been persecution for Christ. It's just been persecution because you're being a meddler. You know, if you go downtown and you preach aggressively using personal barbs and an aggressive tone, you'll probably face persecution. And some of it will be because you're preaching Christ, but a whole lot of it will be because you're being aggressive. It's not wrong, it's just unwise. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus, will be persecuted. This is such an encouragement when it comes to understanding our faith, especially for people who are facing persecution right now. Because someone comes along, I wonder if you've had this experience, come, someone's come along and said to you, I think you're taking Jesus just a little too far. You know, you can just kind of simmer down on your faith here. If, if you were to simmer down on your faith, you would not be facing this kind of persecution. You can be like everybody else. And you wouldn't face this type of persecution. And in that moment, the word of God comes along and says, you know what? It's because you're following Jesus. And, and Jesus, when you, when you follow Christ, you follow Jesus where he is going. Jesus journeyed to resurrection through the cross. And he leads you and I through the cross to resurrection. And so we we experience persecution because we're facing hardship. We experience hardship as, as, as a cause of following Christ. You know, children, they're, they're amazing observers. They'll observe everything. They'll record everything in their own minds. They, they see everything. But they're, they're amazing observers, but they're not very good interpreters. <laughs> like interpreting the facts. They come up with all these odd conclusions when I was a kid, my sister told me that, uh, that there are these bugs that come when you sleep and they eat your face. And this made perfect sense to me because when I look at my mother, I think a lot of bugs have been eating your face. Just kidding, just kidding. Sorry, mom. She doesn't. We... There's all the wrinkles and stuff. And, and my sister told me, they said, when the bugs are finished, they leave these little deposits in your eyes. And that's why when in the morning when you wake up, you've got this like kind of powdery stuff in your eyes. It's the, it's the leftovers. My sister told me this. I believed it. I would have accepted that as 100% scientific fact. A great observer of the facts, but a terrible interpreter. Kind of interpreting the facts of life. We have a similar relationship with God as children to an adult. Because an adult comes along and they have perspective and they say, no, no, that's not true. That's, that's just not true. And God comes along and says, I know that you've seen these facts of life. You're suffering hardship 
you're suffering uh, persecution and, and you're making the judgment that God is not with you. You're a good observer, but you're a terrible interpreter because that's simply not the facts. And so we relate to God and God comes along and he says, we tell ourselves when we're going through hardship or persecution, God must have left me. His favor has gone. I shouldn't be this passionate about religion because it's taking me to some unwise places. But Jesus says, no, no, you are in exactly the right place. I will, uh, the world will persecute those who follow Christ. We say to ourselves, maybe I've taken this faith thing too far and I need to pull back on the commitment And so God comes along and he says, I want to communicate to you that hardship and persecution will come. Don't take it as a sign that you've gone astray. You know, a low-key example of this kind of thing and this understanding that that persecution will come is actually in in the town of Rolleston. My parents serve in Rolleston in a church there, and and it's a brand-new place. And so the the Christian community in Rolleston understand uniquely, I think, that if they're going to have life-giving churches in their town, they need to build them, and they need to build them now. Because come back in 200 years, Rolleston will still be there. But if you're going to have come back in 200 years and find life-giving churches and great church buildings, the best time to build them is right now. And they understand that the council will not give them money to do that. They understand that the grants won't come from the government to do that. There's this this understanding when I spend time with people out there, and it's the same here, that if we want a church in 200 years, we need to build it, and what that means is money. It's an understanding that that persecution will come. I'm not saying that council is, is persecuting the churches or making it hard for them, but simply understanding that, that the responsibility is on the Christians to build the church, not somebody else. To get away from spiritual short-sightedness, we simply understand that persecution is is a thing and it will come. Second thought is this, is to focus your heart on heaven. Focus your heart on heaven. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. There is something about people suffering for Jesus that reframes everything that matters in our life. And Paul says that outwardly we're wasting away. And to people who are suffering, that feels like significant tragedy. But Paul says, actually, if you focus your heart on heaven, what you call them is light and momentary troubles. There's something about focusing on heaven that puts everything else in perspective. You know, when I was 20 years old, I spent a summer in an Asian nation, and um, there weren't too many people around, so I'd go next door, and I'd hang out with the family next door, and I got to know uh, one of the girls next door, who was my age. She was universally educated like me. She was Christian, like me, and I found out recently that she'd been taken to the hospital when she had been when she was very sick in the last year or two. And uh, because she was a Christian, they blocked visitors and they withheld treatment. She had a Christian nurse, and the nurse alerted her family after some time 
and she would have died had her nurse not done that. There's something about that experience that puts my whole life and existence in a different light. To understanding that a very dear friend nearly was killed for Christ because she just so happens to live in a place that does that. It focuses my heart on heaven. It's, it's hard to truly care about possessions and mortgages when, when somebody that you love is, is nearly killed for her faith in Christ that I have loved and known in the past. Paul says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a weight of a, 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 an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So when you think about your time here on earth and you imagine a few moments before you go off to glory and go to meet Christ and see Jesus, what parts of your current life will carry significance? Your kindness will carry significance. The relationships you have with your family and those closest to you will carry significance. Your peace will God will, with God will carry significance. How he uses you will carry significance. There's a whole lot that may not. You know, the old quote is true from Jim Elliott, who was a, a martyr for his faith on the mission field in the 1950s. And they found this quote in his diary after he had passed on. He said, It is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Something about persecution that focuses our hearts on heaven and whether or not we experience it right now we are wise to do exactly the same thing and the final thought for you today is to remember the power of a seed remember the power of a seed Jesus talked about his own death in the context of a seed he talked about his death as if his, his, his passing on and his, his going to the cross was a seed that was going into the ground. John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus is speaking and he says, uh, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. There's an awesome picture right there. He doesn't say killed. He says glorified. Because it was, it was in dying on the cross that he is glorified. The glorified in Scripture, this is totally off my notes, but the glorified in Scripture does not refer to the resurrection. It refers to the cross. The early Christians would talk about Jesus reigning from the cross like a king reigns from a throne. That time had come for him to be glorified. So if you're chasing the glory of God, it just so might be that he brings about persecution in your life. Very truly I tell you, Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You know, we're often encouraged in times of hardship to think about the positive impact that, that our current season will have on the years to come. And I'll be honest, that kind of thinking is challenging. Because when you're going through hardship, the hardship feels so massive and the positive impact feels like a very small consolation prize. When you're watching the Son of God die on the cross, 
that feels like the biggest thing in your world. The, the Messiah whom we had been waiting 400 years was literally breathing his last breath on the cross. The confusion and the fear seem so significant. And the early church seems like a small consolation prize. Except it's not. Because Jesus understood the power of the seed. A seed is small. It doesn't feel powerful or significant. Jesus' death feels like an immense tragedy. And to say that it's like planting a seed makes us wonder at times if it's really worth it. So I invite Nathaniel to come up and play on the keys as we close today. You know, John Rogers was a Bible translator. He was born in 1505, and he was called to ministry in the Catholic Church, which is the church at the time, at a time when the Bible had not yet been translated into English. John Rogers grew in the conviction that the Word of God should not be restricted or controlled by clergy, but instead be available to everybody. I love the fact that the point of conflict for Rogers was not a core component of the Christian faith. They weren't debating the power of the sanctification or Holy Spirit or blood of Jesus. They were, they were debating whether or not the Bible should be in English. So with William Tyndale... They began to translate the Bible into English, slowly and steadily, verse by verse. The religious authorities were very unhappy about it, but they didn't do anything for a very long time. But in 1553, at the age of, when Rogers was 48, a new Bishop of London was appointed, and he rounded up the translators. He arrested John and others, and he imprisoned them for two years. In 1555, along with 10 others, he was burned at the stake for his role in translating Scripture. The powerful story goes on to say that his own children led him in his final moments to the stake. And as, he, as they led him, they encouraged him to be strong so he might not dishonor Christ. Rogers understood the power of the seed. He made a groundbreaking contribution to our freedom to read the Bible in English. But I believe the most powerful thing he ever did was to give his life at the stake. He understood that a seed must die to bring about a harvest. Be encouraged, church, that when hardship comes, know that God is with you. Focus your heart on heaven. And remember that the seeds planted in the ground will bring about a harvest. And as we close today, I want to share a final scripture with you. Maybe you're here today and you have not yet accepted Christ. Maybe you've walked with God in the past and you just kind of found yourself at church and you're wondering kind of what this is all about. I want to share this situation with you. 
Peter and Andrew, the apostles, before they become apostles, are just fishermen and they're out fishing. They're just going about their work and Jesus turns up on the beach and he calls out to them. He sees them and he calls out to them. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus says, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Jesus called Peter and Andrew to follow him. And when they left their nets to follow him, they found themselves in relationship, not just with Jesus, but in relationship with God himself. Life made sense. They stepped into their calling. God was moving in their life because they said yes to Jesus. Now, I don't ever like to conclude a message here without giving somebody here or watching online or even listening to the podcast the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Like the disciples, he is calling you. And you may have ignored him in the past. But now that you now you know that there is an opportunity right here to respond to his call. So with every head bowed and eye closed, we're going to offer a word of prayer together. And if that's you and you know you need to come back into relationship with God, having walked away or or you're here and you just want to know God for yourself for the first time and you sense, you sense God calling you. Thank you for listening to this Elam Church Christchurch podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit www.elamchristchurch.org or connect at one of our services every Sunday at 10am.